0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. When Claiborne was talking, I immediately wrote in my notes at the top uh, that word surrender because that is what we're talking about today. The whole concept of have you surrendered. Do you have a moment? in your life, a moment in your, your faith story to where you have actually surrendered to God. When, when he talked about the different movies you might watch, you know, I immediately think of when it comes to surrender, I think of an enemy approaching me. But surrender isn't about, you know, just surrendering to an enemy, but to a greater power. And so when you have a power beginning to Confront you and they're coming down. How many of you have ever been in a fight when you were a kid? You ever been punched in the face? How many of you have not been punched in the face? You might need that just to give you perspective in life. I don't know, but I've been punched in the face a couple times. It's not nice. I was a little bratty kid. But when, when that power is coming at you, there is this tendency to refuse to surrender, because you still you, you, you hold on to your own power, you hold on to your own will, and you think, even though this guy is a foot taller than me, that I might be able to take him. Well, the, the question for us today is that at what point have you or will you surrender to Christ? At what point will you raise that white flag? And for those of us that are fortunate, I had, a, uh, I, I, was, uh, I had a childhood conversion, came to know Christ at an early age. Uh, some of you did not. And, and usually the older you are, the better your story gets. But the younger you are, you kind of like your story a little bit better than everybody else's story. There's an old saying that one of our pastors, Pastor Larry says, he goes, those who can't listen, they have to feel and, and when we can't recognize the glorious power of our Lord and surrender, then we have to feel. I, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning through Acts. We're going to spend about the next five or six weeks in the book of Acts. We're going to start by looking at Paul and this series entitled Darkness to Light. And we're going to take a look at the moment today when Paul surrendered. And that is the key moment. And then we're going to see another guy that surrendered, who had already surrendered to God, but then we're going to watch him surrender that is just a part of his faith journey of what he is doing. But Paul has this immediate, from darkness to light, surrender. And I want to analyze the text this morning and discover at what point did that happen. In uh, uh, this morning, uh, I'm a part of a small group. I hope you will find a small group if you're not in one. We're gonna be beginning a lot a lot more groups. They'll meet on Sundays, they'll meet on Wednesdays, they'll actually meet whenever it works for you. But if you wanna be a part of a group or you wanna start a group, you come let one of us know and we wanna get those going, but they're important. In our group this morning, uh, it's actually my wife that mentioned it. She talked about we can get hung up in a painting. And when I walked in and I saw these paintings, it, it it drew me in we We put these up you know around Easter time and and after a while, if you've been with us, they kind of just disappear. you You no longer see them when we first hung them they were they, they kind of you know they were like, Wow, okay, there they are. But after a while, they just kind of get there. What, I want you to uh don't get weird on me, but I want you to fixate on one of them, and I want you to find one little paint stroke within the context of the larger. So look at the crown and just find, find a little bitty stroke. Look at the cross and find a little bitty stroke. And I want that to represent your life this morning. Because what we talked about in group, and, uh, and, and Michelle mentioned, when, when you stare and you just focus on one thing, you miss the bigger picture and you can lose the concept you can lose the concept of the cross very quick you can lose the concept of the crown very quick but what i want to ask you to do is i want you to focus in on that moment that would be your brush mark on that cross on that crown and basically asking you this morning is do you have a brush mark do you have a moment and that moment as claiborne defined it would be a mark on the canvas and we're talking about something greater than us. And so there's an importance to zero in and find your mark, but then to zoom out and see what God is doing all around you. If you're like me, I can get very focused in on my day, which can be very ordinary and very routine, and miss something that God might be wanting to do that would change the course of someone else's life or mine forever. And so what is that moment? And so today as we look at, at Paul, I want you to think about your own brush mark up there. You know, do, do you have a part on the canvas, on the spiritual canvas? Have you taken part where God wants you to take part in his story? And as, as we look, I want you to understand the context of, uh, of the book of Acts. So Acts is a history of the early church. And so we're going to catch up with Paul in chapter nine. But before that, there's this rapid increase of the church, there's this rapid growth of the church. You're going to see it's going to be referred to as the way. The church at that time was not an event. It was a movement, and that's what it needs to be today and should be today. But the church was a movement, and they called it the way, and it was moving forward. It was moving forward, and with that came problems. They had logistical problems, and they had absolute threats. One of the logistical problems they had is they found out they had widows in the church, and they didn't know how to care for them. And so they were they they called seven men together, and they ordained them as deacons and said, you guys are going to take care of this problem in the church, and you are going to be what we are going to call a deacon. You're going to be a servant. You are going to serve the widows. And we had seven of those guys at the time. One of his names was Stephen, and you might know his name. He was the first martyr. And so here you have the church growing and growing and growing, but problems are starting to come up, and so threats are starting to come into the church just a few years after Jesus' resurrection. And and what happens is, just to to cut to the end of the story, uh, Stephen ends up getting murdered for his faith, and he's the very first one. And it makes everybody in their ordinary life just kind of step back and say, okay, I'm either going to be a part of this movement or I'm going to stay on the sidelines. It's it's kind of a drawing to the line. And so I, I put down at first in my notes that the early church was in crisis. The early church was never in crisis. But the early church is at a very pivotal point in its history because God is going to call people to the line and he has now declared, okay, not only is Jesus... The one you are following, did he die for this and was resurrected? But it might mean that you as a follower of Jesus are going to have to give up your life. Stephen did that. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, he gives the most beautiful, uh, basically, history of of the Old Testament at that point and how it related to Israel and the relationship with God. It's, It's a fantastic a defense of the faith, but he ends up being drugged right out of town and murdered right after that. Paul. Paul was there. And that's something we have to remember. Paul was sitting on the sidelines, and the scripture says that he approved of it, and it doesn't say this, but he loved it. Paul was was one hundred percent sold out to erase the way, to erase Christianity to take the movement out and to to be the one to just lead the charge in shutting this movement down. So much that Paul went to the religious leaders of the day and said, will you give me permission? And that day it was in the form of a letter. And he said, will you give me a letter? Will you give me permission that anytime I come across someone who is a part of the way that I can bring them back in chains and basically kill them? and he got approval quick. There wasn't a whole lot of paperwork back then. <laughs> they just they gave it to him. But here's, here's what's so exciting about Paul's conversion. You have to understand the darkness of Paul. You have to understand the pivotal point in, in Christian early life history. We're just about three, four years into the early church, and now you got this pivotal point and now Paul is on a mission, he's, he's got permission, he's got his letter, he has full approval basically to see and to kill, to chain, to do whatever he wants to do if he finds someone who is following the way. And as he is walking down this road to Damascus, it was about 150 mile, 200 mile road, but it was a common path for him. It wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't new to him. He's, he's just headed. He's, he's got men with him. He's going about his way and he's going to seek out people who are, are believers of the way, and he's going to bring them back in chains. And I want you to catch up with me in Acts chapter nine, if you'd turn there. And uh, let me get there, verse 1. Let me pray, and we'll get into this. Father, I love you, and Lord, will you help us to know if, Father, if we got a brush stroke on the canvas, Lord, have we surrendered? Have we allowed you to use us? And Lord, I pray that if there is someone here who has never done that, has never surrendered to you, that they would be bold today and step up and make that choice. And Father, join you in the movement. Father, if we have uh, folks in here that have maybe just let life become ordinary. Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts. And Father, whatever it takes, would you move each of us to follow you, to say yes to you, and to do what you would have us to do. And Father, I pray that Paul's story will stick out to us. And Father, that the example that he is would just be so clear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul is the first ambassador of Christ. If you were with us the last couple weeks, we've been talking about an ambassador. An ambassador represents Christ to another people. And so as we go about our life, we are representing Christ. Paul is the perfect model of that. Look at verse 1. We're catching up with him. You know he's got the permission. He's got the authority to basically take anybody he wants. And here's what it says. Meanwhile... It's going to say Saul. I'll explain that in a second. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. Paul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so that is the heart of Paul. In your scripture, you're going to see him referred to as Saul. Later on, he'll be called Paul. His name was actually not changed Uh, he just had dual names. He had dual citizenship. He was a Jew that was born in a Roman city of Tarsus. And so he had a a Jewish name and a Roman name. His Roman name is Paul. His Jewish name basically was Saul. And you're going to find he's going to go by his Roman name, which is Paul. That's how we know him, because his mission, his absolute mission in life was to win over those in Rome, which basically represents us, the Gentiles. And so he went by that Gentile name of Paul. But Paul is uttering threats with every breath, eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested the letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation, the rest of any followers along the way. Now, here's the most interesting part. Look at verse 3. I hope you if you have your Bible open up there in your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 3. It says as he was approaching Damascus on this mission a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. We know from other instances in scripture telling the same story that it's high noon right now and so it's not dark. It's high noon and we know the translation of the light shining around him it was it was Lights that were really moving around him, maybe flashing, but it wasn't just. uh, When I when I tend to think of it, I just picture Paul at night walking down a road and a big spotlight comes up. You know, it wasn't like that. It was the middle of the day, and it was this uh, majestic thing that happened. It wasn't just a light. It wasn't a reflection of the moon that was a natural occurrence or shining off a window somewhere. It was a majestic moment that happened. And then it says this, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think at this moment, Paul is thinking, I might be on the wrong side of this. I might be on the wrong side of this argument about the way. I can't imagine the emotions. Now, this is what it took to get Paul's attention. It put him on his knees. It put him on the ground. We're going to find out later. He's going to be blinded for three days. He won't speak for three days. He won't eat for three days. He is incapacitated for three days. And that's what God did to grab his attention. But what I want you to do is, I want us to kind of look and say, what is the moment that he truly... Surrendered? What is the moment that his heart actually shifted? And I think it might be unnecessary to dive deep and really try and figure that out. But for today in context of trying to find your own moment, I, I, I think it's important. I think it's important to know exactly where your brushstroke is in eternity To know exactly, not the mark you leave, because none of us are going to be remembered in 100 years unless we do something either really bad or really good. But for the most part, we don't even want to be remembered. We want the story of God to be remembered. We want want that to be the canvas. But where's our brushstroke at? Saul said this, Paul. He said, who are you, Lord? Verse 5. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. The guys around them, they actually, they could hear the voice, they couldn't understand the voice. And, and, and here's the thing, we get this story three times in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. Chapter 9 is Luke, the author of Acts as we know it, He is the one that is sharing the story. So this is a third-person account when we first hear the story. It's Luke telling the story that he knew about of Paul coming to know Jesus and being stopped. But then when you go to Acts chapter 22, it's more of a personal testimony. Paul is giving his testimony to other Jewish leaders. And then in Acts chapter 26, he's more giving a defense in front of Rome. And so you have this this account right now that we're looking at. It is a basic uh, account of the story from a third person's point of view. But then verse 22 is a more personal testimony of what happened to him, Acts 26, the the defense. In Acts chapter 22, in this personal story, when he's telling it, and I think he probably told it like this more in the one-on-one situation, he adds something to the story. Now, if you're reading from King James, this is actually added in chapter 9, but, uh, but the, the, the translators and the scribes of King James just added this in because they knew it was true. But if you look at the other translations, it's left out of Acts 9, and it's only in Acts 22. And so in Acts 22, whatever translation you're looking at, take a look at it. Right when he says that, who are you, Lord, the exact same question he asked and Jesus replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He says this. It says the people with him, now he's in first person, he says, the people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. This right here to me is the moment for Paul. He asks this, verse 10, he goes, I asked, what should I do, Lord? Lord. What should I do? For me, that's the point when you go from awe to like, this is pretty fantastic with the moving lights. I'm afraid. I'm on my knees. I am, you know, there was really not worship, I don't think, at that point, just absolute, you know, a fear and an awe. But when Paul turned to this and he asked, what should I do? I think that's when the surrender happened. You know, we believe in a Lord that actually he requires nothing of us. He says, come to me by faith. I I readily have already died on the cross for you. This is not a works-based deal. This is a free gift that I want to give you. But there is a natural response from one who has a genuine moment of surrender with God. And it's this. What should I do? And so, I really ask you today, Paul had to go through a whole lot, a whole lot. To come to this moment. In fact, he was in a day that was so ordinary that I don't don't think he saw it coming at all. And I think he was just smack down surprised of what happened. And those around him probably had a hard time figuring it out too. He's blinded for three days, he doesn't eat for three days and he can't speak for three days. And he's left hanging with that one moment with Jesus when he says, Lord Jesus, what do I do? And the answer was, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And here's what I love, he's left blind, he's left mute, he's left not eating, And he's really not given a specific instruction. Look at the instruction that's given him. It's not go into the city and do this and do that and do this. It's, hey, just go into the city, and the rest of your life is following me. I want you to be in tune to me. I want you to listen to me. And you're going to trust me, and when you trust me, I'll give you that next step. Because here was the next step. At the same time that that Jesus is dealing with Paul, he's also dealing with a guy named Ananias. Remember, Paul is the guy that went and got permission to basically kill anybody that believes in the way. Now, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have a newspaper, but everybody knew Paul. Word gets around pretty fast when someone's out to kill you and you're a part of a secret movement. Ananias is told, hey, It's worth reading because I like how Jesus puts it. He says, uh, uh, yeah, verse 11. Very casual. The Lord said, hey, go over to Straight Street, Ananias, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man with your name, Ananias, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. That's all the information he had. (laughs) That's it. That's it. It's, I mean, talk about a faith walk. Hey, you know, go see this guy. Yes, yeah, it's, his name is Saul, Paul from, from Tarsus. You know, no clarity, no, hey, he's the guy trying to kill you. He's the guy wanting to take you back in chains and all that. Just, hey, go tap him on the shoulder and uh, give him a hug for me. I mean, can you imagine the, <laughs> the, the fear that comes over Ananias. But here's the deal. Ananias has the same moment that Paul had. Ananias is having a moment that he's got to surrender to the will of God and trust. And if, if we don't have time to connect all the dots, but I, I want you to notice that in Paul's story, Jesus brought in another believer. Jesus brought in another man to be a part of his story and another man that had zero information except that he wanted him to go do something. And so here, Paul is being sent without any information to go into this town. Ananias is being sent with information I would say I'd rather not have. And he's being told to go and meet this guy. But they both, on faith, go and do it. And we're here today as a result. Was the movement at a pivotal point? Yes. Was that a crisis? No, because God is always in the midst of a crisis. And I'll I'll side note this. When, When this moment happened, when the movement seemed at the most pivotal point, and I'm sure people in that day did call it a crisis, that is exactly when the gospel took off. And if, if you're surrounded by information, by social media, by, by, by just words that are maybe truth, maybe everything, but if you are becoming consumed by our political climate, if you're becoming consumed by, by what could happen, by, by by our faith is being rocked. We're in this camp. If you're you're being consumed by that, here's the good news. Yeah, your your life might look a little bit different, but when these type things happen, the gospel advances at a rapid rate, and that should make us excited because God always has another move. He's always got another step. And for Paul it was conversion. You're going to start hearing from us this uh, faith journey that we'll be on. And, and you're either right now, you are on a journey to faith or you're on a journey of faith. Paul, the story we talked about, the moment he has, the mark he makes on the canvas, that is his journey to faith. And he becomes a Christ follower. The, the, the step that Ananias took and even Paul to go into the city, that is the journey of faith. And, and we stay on that journey and we're faithful God gives us the exact information we need and we say yes, we say yes, we say yes and we do what he has to say and then the gospel gets advanced as a result. Here's my call to you today. I would ask you, if, if life is getting ordinary for you, if God hasn't maybe kind of rattled your cage yet in quite a while, I'm gonna ask you to do exactly what Claiborne read earlier and that is to surrender. I think there are some amazing things that God wants you to do. We've got 60 kids going to preteen camp uh, Monday. You know, when they get back, we need more people loving on them kids. Maybe your surrender is to say, you know what, I'm going to give up some of my preference, some of my time. I'm going to go invest in those kids. Maybe it's students. We just had students come back from camp a couple weeks ago, committed to studying the Word, committed to get involved. They need someone by their side encouraging. Maybe, maybe you need to step aside and do that. Maybe, maybe you need to step up and start a group. Maybe you're, you're saying, man, I, I need to get to know more people in here. I'd ask you to step up, start a group, find other people just like you. Tomorrow, this campus is going to be full of kids and parents from uh, S.O.S. Society of Samaritans in our uh, in our community, uh, they're a missions group that we partner with, and they they meet they meet spiritual needs by identifying physical needs. And tomorrow they're going to give stuff to people in need, help kids, help parents getting back to school, and we have so many people that volunteer to be a part of Society of Samaritans. And that's, a, that's an outside the church thing, but it doesn't matter if it's inside the church, outside the church, maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to come up here about 10 o'clock tomorrow and hang out and just see if God is calling you to step out in that direction. But I ask you this, have you surrendered? And as I close, I really just want to give a challenge. If you're on the journey to faith, or a journey of faith. Surrender is involved in both. If you look at Jesus, the first thing uh, he did, if you look at Paul, I'm sorry, Jesus told him, go and be baptized. That's the first thing that Saul did. If you've never been baptized, if you've never had that experience, would you come talk to one of us right after this and let that be your surrender moment? Paul didn't have to do that to to begin his missionary journeys. He didn't have to do that to be saved, but he wanted to do that to be that that moment in his life that not just he saw it, but everybody saw it. And then people like Ananias that that God brought alongside him just to to galvanize in that moment. I guarantee you he was there to celebrate that baptism. And that's, that's what we do in here. We celebrate that together. And so maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you need to make that surrender, and, and then maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe uh, you surrendered for the first time to the Lord years ago, but you never took that step. We would love to celebrate that with you. Or if you're on your journey of faith, and you're just trucking along in your faith, you've, you've accepted Christ, you've been baptized, you're going to church, you're doing all the right things, I want to ask you to go home tonight and just ask God, God, what is it going to take to just move me out of my comfort zone? What is it going to take to have me have a moment of surrender to where you use me in an incredible way? I'd ask you to make that prayer uh, today. In fact, let me pray for you, if you would, if you'd bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Um, would you use the silence of right now? to make that prayer. Your day's about to get busy, but in reality, it's not busyness, it's ordinary. We got 60 seconds here that God can use to penetrate your heart for something he wants to do for the rest of the day. And if, if God is talking to you about something today, I want you to do exactly what Paul did. I want you to walk up to another believer and share with them what God has told you. I'm going to be up here at this table. Claiborne is up front. Uh, Jesse is going to be at the coffee shop uh, with the table in the back. And would you just come and, and share that with another believer? And let us encourage you to move forward in what you would do. Father, we love you. I thank you for a great time of worship today. Father, my heart was moved and and Father, I'm just drawn closer and closer and closer to surrender. And Father, we want to surrender to you. And Lord, Paul, when he reached out to you, he just said, "What do I do?" And Father, I find it fascinating that you just gave him one little part of the story. Father, you didn't even answer the question. You just said, "Go." And Lord, I pray that for each of us, that Father, whatever it is you want us to do, Father, may we say yes with the least amount of information and follow you in faith. Father, again, we love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Resonate. Thank you for a time to just praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.